Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this budget podcast from Blick Rothenberg. I'm Declan Curry, journalist and broadcaster. This is the morning after the budget before, so we are going to chew over some of the details with the fine experts from this tax accounting and business advisory firm. We're in the company of Nimesh Shah, the chief executive, Heather Self, the tax partner, and Sean Randall, who's also a partner who specialises in stamp duty. The verdict from Fleet Street from the news websites this morning is that it was a spend now tax later budget. The Chancellor is to spend an extra £65 billion over the next two years, softening the blow of coronavirus. But then he's going to claw back a forecast £25 billion a year in higher taxes on business and households. Uh, Nimeshaw, what's your take on the budget? What did you make of it? Uh, it was largely as predicted for me, because mainly because most of it had been leaked, uh, an amazing number of leaks just before uh, the budget day itself. Um, and as expected, we had lots of proposals on lots of announcements around business support. That was always going to be the key thing for this budget, because we're still in the midst of the pandemic. Um, business has been crying out for support still to take them through the easing of the lockdown and then the post-recovery period. So unsurprisingly, we had an extension to furlough uh, to the end of September, the extension of the self-employed income support scheme, the mirroring version of uh, the furlough scheme for the self-employed, the VAT reduction, which has been extended for almost 12 months. Um, All of those things really to help prop up businesses because the Chancellor recognises but it's businesses and small businesses and entrepreneurs who are really going to get the UK and drag the UK out of this um, this economic nightmare that we've faced over the last 12 months. Um, so not hugely surprising for me there. Uh, on the flip side, we thought that there might be tax changes coming. Um, in December, when the Chancellor announced the budget day, I think the fear was that there would be widespread tax changes at this budget, uh, but they've come... It's, it's probably too soon, the budget day, uh, the 3rd of March. It was a very early budget day. My own thought was, well, why is he set it so early? Uh, is it because he's going to announce a whole raft of tax changes uh, that, that will take effect on the 6th of April? But I think what happened was with the January lockdown, he's had to change his uh, approach completely. Um, he thought that the world would have reopened. He thought that businesses may have been back on their feet. Far from it, actually. So this wasn't the budget for major, major tax changes, which is a huge relief, again, for the business community. Um, I've always said it's just come too soon, uh, this talk of tax changes. Uh, We really need to get out of the pandemic, get people back on their feet before we can start talking about paying this back. Inevitably, it doesn't need to be paid back. I think he set the scene for the future. Um, It's inevitable that tax will need to go up. The the debt levels are huge. It's eye-watering what's happened over the last the last year uh, and he doesn't want to be the chancellor that leaves the country in this fiscal black hole uh, if i'm being slightly cheeky i think that he's also got eyes on a bigger prize uh, but that's a conversation for another day and again he doesn't want this hanging over him that he left the country with this massive debt burden so i think the story is to be continued uh, this is certainly the prelude around what the future is going to be on taxation generally but he's given us a bit about the corporation tax increase, not gonna happen for another couple of years. Uh, And the freezing of the allowances, I thought, wow, he's he's made a big move there by setting up the rest of this parliament. What's he gonna talk about for 
the next four budgets that, um, that the Conservatives are going to be in power for. So uh, that that side of it was was interesting. He's got his hands tied uh, when it comes to taxes because of this triple lock promise. And politically, you can see the tension within the party, especially from Boris Johnson, that the last thing they want to do is break it. But then how does he pull those tax levers? So he's gone for what is a very quick, effective win um, around freezing the allowances. Um, and just to say triple sense. lock, just to say triple lock is that promise to maintain uh, the income of pensioners at a level that keeps pace with either. No. No, there are two locks there. There's a triple lock on pensioners, but he they yes. also promised not to raise income tax, corporation tax or VAT during this parliament. And as that accounts for two thirds of the total tax take, as Nimesh yeah. says, his hands are really tied. So income tax, VAT and national insurance, the three big taxes. OK, thank you for clarifying that. It, it, it confused me momentarily because when we uh, talk about uh, triple lock, we, we tend to think of the very expensive protection that's offered to pensioners. And that's important, of course, because they're the people who turn out and vote. And we can't dismiss the political uh, from the economic here. Um, Nimesh mentioned the uh, huge scale of uh, government borrowing this year and next year. And Heather, of course, the reason we have that is because he's still spending so much money protecting, cushioning the economy from the effects of the pandemic. That has allowed him to unveil those predictions from the Office of Budget Responsibility that unemployment they now think will be quite a bit lower than some previous forecasts. And Heather, that spending continues, that help carries on. Yes, and the numbers are huge. In this budget alone, he's announced another 65 billion of COVID support. A lot of that is going to the job retention scheme, which goes to employers to help them keep employees on. And he's now extended that to the end of September. So we'll have had that for 18 months, which is a huge period of time. As Nimesh said, there's also help for the self-employed. They're going to get another grant very shortly, the fourth one, and then there will be a fifth one later in the year. But there's still some people who call themselves the excluded, people who haven't benefited from any of those schemes. And I think that's particularly directors of owner-managed companies. A lot of them quite naturally pay themselves in dividends. The dividend element doesn't count for any support. Some of them have got a bit of support from the job retention scheme in respect of their salary element, but there's a lot of them who've got absolutely absolutely nothing so far. And uh, as you say, that'll be a disappointment to, to many of our entrepreneurs in Britain, that that side of their uh, income, that contribution they make in normal times to increasing the wealth of the country, Heather, uh, doesn't seem to be recognised either in this or in previous financial statements. I think what it's really highlighting is how the tax system imposes some very artificial boundaries. Three people all earning £40,000 doing it in different ways as an employee, as a self-employed individual or as a director of their own company have very different tax burdens and that's something I think he may well come back to in future budgets. Yes, there had been, uh, sorry, no, it's just to say that there had been an expectation that he might announce some sort of future consultation or plans for a review or a reform of self-employed taxation. I didn't hear that yesterday. Did I miss it or did he not say it? He didn't say it yesterday, but he might say it on the 23rd of March. Normally, you get a whole raft of consultations out on budget day. But this time he said he's going to have a separate consultation day on the 23rd of March. So whether that's because he wants to give more good news at that time or because he doesn't want bad news to distract from his budget, who knows? Uh, Nemesh. I think it's 
inevitable that he's got his eye on the self-employed. I remember when he stood up in April last year and announced the self-employment scheme. It, there was a look in his eye which said, you're going to pay for this. So he, he's got this disdain for the self-employed community. He's really been quite stubborn about giving them the extra support. And you mentioned, Heather, about this large population of directors, shareholders of their own service companies being excluded. I don't think he had any intention yesterday and months gone by that he was going to bring those people back into the support network. What he did do, which was mildly helpful, is that he did allow people who started their business as self-employed in the 1920 tax year to be eligible for the fourth and fifth self-employment grants. Because there was outrage that people who'd started their businesses early on in the pandemic were going to get excluded. I remember even saying in the run-up to 31 January, make sure you get your tax return in by the 31st of Jan before they extended the deadline. Because I had a feeling that uh, he would announce a scheme that would bring that population in. And that's exactly what, what he's done. But it's going to be a small amount relative to what furloughs given for an employee equivalent, which just shows the disparity uh, between the two regimes, really focused on the worker jobs, um, but the self-employed have largely been left behind um, over the last year. Okay, as well as continuing uh, furlough, as well as the two additional rounds of grants for some self-employed um, freelancers, he also extended for a short period the 5% uh, BAT rate. That will then be replaced uh, by a less generous uh, alternative, but still below the normal rate. The holiday on business rates for those businesses that qualify for it will also continue for a short period of time to be replaced by arrangements that are less generous. And uh, Sean Randall, just to bring you into the, the conversation on this point, uh, he also said, pretty much as expected, uh, that the stamp duty holiday for some buyers in England, Northern Ireland, would continue. Yeah, that's right. Hi, Declan. Um, so, you know, the, the lobbying that was uh, done by a number of professional bodies seems to have worked. The petition to extend the holiday also perhaps had some impact uh, as widely trailed in one of the broadsheets. As you know, the holiday has extended until the end of June. So three more, three more months for people to complete their purchases to avail of the up to £15,000 saving. Um, what wasn't expected and what was a surprise was the second stamp duty holiday going from July until October. Some called it a half holiday insofar as the first £250,000 of the price will not be taxed as opposed to the first £500,000 which isn't taxed at the moment. But calling it a half holiday is a bit misleading because the tax saving at the moment is up to 15,000 and from July until October, it's only 2,500. So it isn't half at all. Um, this is obviously going to uh, help the sectors which are aligned with a healthy housing market, such as DIY, home furnishing, removals, surveyors, estate agents, and so on. And they'll be breathing a sigh of relief. But frankly, um, there will still be a cliff edge. Uh, that July deadline really is quite important, given that the average house price in most of uh, the UK, or certainly half of the UK, is in excess of, or, or almost, well, it's in excess of 250,000. So uh, a lot of people will still wish to complete before July, and that will still cause a logjam in the system, as there is currently. So the cliff edge is less steep, but there is one. and. Uh, 
it'll be interesting to see what happens to the system uh, in or late June, for example. So Sean, your feeling is, your analysis is that uh, whilst the extension will be welcomed by those whose uh, transaction has not yet been completed, they won't all get over the line. There will still be some who won't be done in time. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the dangers is that um, obviously he's helped those people already in the system. Uh, they now have more than a fighting chance of completing before the end of the deadline, but uh, it will also encourage people to enter the system and that will cause a logjam. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll wait to see. Um, at least there is some kind of taper, as was pleaded by the industry. Um, I think there'll be regional differences. So in the parts of the country where the average house price is under 250, such as the north of England, well, then the system may uh, become more gradual. But certainly in London and the southeast, um, I think there'll be a lot of pressure on conveyances to complete before July. Yeah, and there is a question about how effective the stamp cut, uh, the stamp uh, Judy holiday was anyway in making housing more affordable uh, to those who it was trying to help because the uh, it's the case, isn't it, that the rise in house prices that it helped trigger has outstripped any possible benefit in tax cut for the majority of buyers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was predicted. Um, coincidentally, the uh, increase to the average house price almost matches identically the, the, the tax saving, the maximum tax saving of £15,000. So, yeah, some people might argue that this is a tax break for sellers rather than buyers, and actually buyers um, are paying more for their houses, which uh, exceeds the amount of tax that they're saving on stamp duty. Um, but nevertheless, this wasn't really intended to level up. It was always intended, in my view, to control uh, or protect jobs with those sectors aligned with a housing market. Ah, that's interesting because the, uh, a lot of the sort of post-game analysis was about it helping first-time buyers and it's done, it's done nothing of the sort. You know, it makes you uh, think, is this one of those things that needs to go into that very thick, bulging file marked Chancellor's meddling that didn't produce the desired result? I think it's, it's naturally tempting to say that um, any change to stamp duty and any cut to stamp duty is intended to help the housing market, but actually I think in this case... If you read between the lines, it was really intended to, to help jobs. Uh, Nimesh. Sean, shouldn't he have done this last summer? So when he announced this fanfare of package, including the SDLT holiday, and it was a good news uh, summer statement last year, shouldn't he, see, shouldn't he have seen this coming? That there was going to be this cliff edge at the end of March. We needed something to have that runway through. Why, why is it taking him so long to get to this point? Well, yeah, uh, you're right. And there was a, an extension, um, rather, there was a holiday in 2008, 2009, off the back of the depression caused by um, borrowing and, and Lehman Brothers crash at that time. And there was an extension then. Um, so yes, it was predictable. Uh, I think really the pressure mounted and those campaigns to extend the holiday worked. And um, perhaps this is a victim of its own success in the sense that the, the surge in transactions that this has created um, has caused such a logjam that people are genuinely uh, at risk of losing the holiday, even though they started uh, to transact, uh, to buy their house way before 
um, you know, January or February this year. And you don't think that we're just going to end up in the same position again in six months time with more lobbying to extend it? It's just not going to be a self-perpetuating circle of SDLT holidays until, it, until the regime changes. I, I, no, I, I don't. I think this is it. And I think now, really, those entering the system have to accept the responsibility of losing the holiday if they don't complete. I mean, the, the logjam in the conveyancing system is, is widely known now. So those entering the system to try to take advantage of the holiday to complete before July really need to do so at their own risk. I'm slightly surprised he didn't make that more explicit or just limit the extension to uh, existing sales already in the system, but perhaps that might have added uh, another unwanted layer of complexity. Heather, let's talk about the big tax rises that we saw uh, in the budget. The obvious one is the rise in corporation tax. The Chancellor was stressing yesterday that most businesses, in particular small businesses, won't be affected by this. Was he right? Yes, it's only going to apply in full to a business that earns more than £250,000 a year in profits. And I think he said that about 70% of businesses fall below that. These are big measures, though. He's done two things. As you said, it's a spend now, pay later. He's giving away £25 billion. Um, I have to say, Sean, that's about almost 20 times as much as a stamp duty extension in order to encourage big projects to get going faster. This is going to be something that pulls forward, I think, the big infrastructure projects that were planned anyway. It's not, you're not going to start to build a power station starting today, but if you were going to build one in 2024, you might well pull, pull it forward to 2023 to get this very significant um, additional allowances. So what he said is anything that businesses spend between 1st of April this year and the 31st of March 2023, so in a two-year window, they'll get 130% of that spend allowed for tax. So spend £1,000, get £1,300 allowed for tax. That's equivalent to almost a 6% subsidy on your expenditure. Really going to be an incentive for people to bring it forward. As always, there's a lot in the detail. If you'd already signed a contract to buy something before yesterday, you can't cancel it and spend it after April. You're only going to be able to have new expenditure qualifying. It doesn't apply to some things like cars. And there's also a sting in the tail at the other end. If you've got a December year end, although you'll get extra allowances all the way up to April 2023, it won't be the full 130% because it'll come down because your accounting period goes beyond that date. So really the pressure on this, I think, is going to be next year, 2022, expenditure that people have got a bit of time now to start planning and spend it but it will cover things like a lot of businesses will be buying a lot of extra office furniture because people are going to work differently they might want more tables in the office and they might be buying chairs for people at home Nimesh I think you want to no, come in I was and just comment gonna on say, I was gonna say Heather I love the fact that he called it the super deduction what a big grand gesture but really it's a uh, it's Tax a, break it's with a, a cape. Yes. <laughs> uh, the uh, the CBI this morning, the uh, Director General, uh, Tony Danker, um, welcoming it, saying that it will be effective in stimulating investment. But Heather, there is some question about whether it's going to generate new investment that wouldn't have happened anyway, or whether it's just going to pull forward investment planned over many years, in which case, what happens in year three? Do we see a big drop off an investment again? Well, I wonder when the next election might be. 
Now, there's a question. <laughs> fixed term Parliament Act says 2024, but who knows how long the fixed term Parliament Act might be in existence? I believe there are already proposals to get rid of the Fixed Term yeah. Parliament Act. When you look at this budget and when you look at where the money's being spent and when it comes back the other way, it's a very sort of Alice in Wonderland budget. You jam yesterday, jam tomorrow, but never jam today. And the big increases in revenue come as far out as 2025-26, which is definitely after the next election. So this does perhaps let Rishi Sunak go into the next election, promising to cut the taxes that he was going to put up this time. And just uh, for the entrepreneurs that you uh, talk to so often, there is another uh, rather stealthier tax rise in there that they'll be thinking about this morning as well, and that is the freezing of personal alliances, both the starting point for made income tax and the starting point for the higher rate. Freezing things is a very effective way of raising taxes because people don't notice it. Nobody's pay is going to go down, but they'll get a little bit more dragged into the tax net every year. So what he said is he will carry on with the small rises this April. And that's frankly because all the computers have already been programmed. It would be a nightmare to take away those small adjustments now. So the basic personal allowance goes up by £70 from £12,500 to £12,570. And the higher limit, the point at which you start paying 40% tax goes up from 50,000 to 50,270 but then they stay there right up to 2026. Yeah but this has been going on for years Heather um, so 10 years ago um, I had a look back at my old tax rates yesterday the point at which you pay basic rate uh, higher rate tax was around 44,000 so the, the threshold only increased by by £6,000 over the last 10 years. And it's going to be frozen. It's going to be 15 years in uh, 2026. The fact that it's only gone up by, on average, £400 a year is staggering for me. Nimesh, my tax tables go back even further than yours. I can remember Nigel Lawson having two rates of tax, the 25% and the 40% rate. We've now got the basic rate all the way down at 20% and it would be political suicide to try and put that up again. So what he's doing is actually just pulling more people in at the top end and really reversing quite a significant policy of both the coalition government and George Osborne of increasing that, that personal allowance. If you look right at the lower end, people think that increasing the personal allowance helps the lowest paid, but actually the very lowest paid don't even get the full benefit of that personal allowance. They're not earning enough to pay tax. There's a staggering statistic. It's only about half the population that actually pays tax. And there's a, also a lot of complicated interaction with benefits. So freezing the personal allowance is sensible, but we've still got a mismatch between the tax bans and the national insurance bans. There's a lot more I think he's going to do on tax and national insurance. It's the middle earner over the last 10 years that have really suffered and again, did some very quick maths yesterday evening, that a family of four with one earner at £62,000, their family is only £6 better off now than they were 10 years ago. Um, and that's not including the effect of inflation during that period. I think they'd probably be about £10,000 worth off in, in absolute terms. And if they've got children, they'll be hit by the high income child benefit charge. So that's being taken away as well. There's a lot more he could do in terms of actually making the tax system more sensible. What, but what he's done yesterday is a stealth tax rise. People are not going to notice that an allowance stays the same. But actually, by 
the end of his forecast period by 2025-26, that's increasing government revenues by 8 billion a year. Quick thought from each of the three of you. Were there any surprises in the budget yesterday? Were there things that you weren't expecting? Are there little measures that uh, we're overlooking and might actually have a big impact, a surprising impact? Sean, your thoughts on surprises in the package? Well, I mentioned one, which is the, the large one, which is the second holiday after July to October. That wasn't announced in the in the broadsheet that uh, leaked the first story. Um, so, so that was a surprise and very welcome and probably, as I say, the result of some lobbying. Um, we've also got a 2% surcharge on residential property uh, bought by non-residents. Uh, that was already anticipated and, and you know, hardwired almost to happen, um, and that will happen from the 1st of April. Um, there was talk also, uh, speculation really, in terms of replacing stamp duty with a, another form of property tax, property levy, perhaps an annual property levy. Wait to see whether that might be one of the consultations on the, you know, published on the 23rd. I hope not, obviously. Uh, and um, I think it would be very surprising if there were uh, such a change, it would be such a radical change uh, to go from a transfer tax to an annual property levy. Okay, thank you. Heather, you're a surprise of the day. I think the dogs that didn't bark, we didn't get anything on capital gains tax. Um, a couple of things I was pleased about we haven't mentioned that he's improved loss relief for companies. So companies that are normally profitable, but have had a tough year, they can get cash back by carrying that back for up to three years. That was something we were arguing for and I was very pleased to see. Uh, there was also uh, help for uh, uh, small business to get training in digital skills. There were more incentives to hire apprentices. There was even money to boost uh, payment for uh, management training and lots of measures to help in infrastructure and the development of green energy as well. Nimesh, your surprises? Uh, well, I'm surprised at how well he did with an empty House of Commons. Uh, I thought he delivered the speech really well uh, compared to some of the more recent updates where he's looked like a bit of a subdued, broken man. Um, but on the wider package, uh, I would say it's capital gains tax for me, which Heather mentioned as well. This one's had so much speculation. Um, he did put the marker down in the sand last summer uh, when he asked the Office of Tax Implications to start reviewing CGT. It set a load of hairs running at that point. And there's some radical proposals by the OTS at the back end of last year, um, which uh, spooked a number of entrepreneurs and business owners. The fact that that wasn't um, even talked about in the run-up to the budget it wasn't hardly mentioned at all yesterday that one just feels like the sleeping lion and I expect that on the 23rd of March when we are expected to see a raft of consultations some of my peers are calling it tax day as sad as that sounds uh, but we may get an insight over what the next 12 months holds for things like capital gains tax Sean mentioned the property tax as well um, what there could be around breaking the triple lock I think there's going to be a whole load of information on the 23rd of March, that we'll get a forward lens on what could be a bumper tax grab in the autumn budget with the measures due to take effect from the 6th of April next year. So if I were to ask you, will this budget work? Will it do what it set out to do, which is to try and uh, put us on the path towards rebalancing the book? What, what I'm hearing from you is actually the main action may well be in the autumn. This was just the appetizer. I think we've still got to wait and see whether he's going to be a truly reforming chancellor. He's had 
extraordinary circumstances to deal with and he's done some very big measures but they've nearly all been short term is he really going to be a chancellor who changes the tax system or is he just going to be somebody who keeps reacting to the latest emergency neighbor your final thought for me it's a budget that is on par for me uh it was all about business support uh, he did what he said he was going to do and i think that was a there was a a positive uh, positive message underneath all of the noise around it. But um, as Heather was saying, the, uh, the landscape in the UK is just so unknown at the moment. And until we get out of the situation, until we see businesses back on their feet, uh, there's not much more that the Chancellor can do at this stage. And the short-term nature of our political system means that he does need to react quickly and whilst he would wanted to have been this transformational chancellor when he came in 12 months ago, his hands have really, really been tied by the politics, but also the pandemic at the heart. Well, thank you uh, all very much to the uh, three of you. That's uh, Nimesh Shah, who's the chief executive, Heather Self, uh, tax partner, and Sean Randall, the stamp duty uh, partner. I want to thank you as well for listening to this uh, podcast. We are talking the morning after the budget, so this is a quick snapshot, yet in-depth uh, analysis and more and more detail about what the Chancellor intends will emerge during uh, the course of the next few weeks. And if, as we've uh, been hearing, we also have those uh, big announcements on consultations towards the end of the month as well. So you can keep up with all of those developments and uh, uh, iterations and uh, get further analysis on the Blick Rothenberg Budget Hub. That's www.blickrothenberg.com forward slash budget or you can search for Blick Rothenberg Budget 2021. There you will get detailed budget commentary and a range of tools to help you understand better how the budget might affect you. I'm Declan Curry. Thank you very much for your company.